Welcome to the Celebration Church Tri-Cities Podcast. We are so grateful that you have chosen to spend part of your day with us. We are praying that God speaks to you through this message from our pastor, Robert Russell. For more information about our church, visit cctri.org. Enjoy the message. Let's pray before I teach. Lord, I do ask that you would open each of our hearts and minds to you this morning. That you would shine a very bright light on each of us to reveal anything in our hearts and our minds, our souls that you want to change. That you would do a new and fresh work according to your power and your purposes. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, I started off this year with a teaching about a new thing based on Isaiah where the scripture indicates there that God is doing a new thing. Do you not perceive it? And in fact, I believe God has been doing something very new, probably for far longer than we have perceived, but certainly during the last year, that he's doing something new in the world, calling people unto himself, I think he's doing something very new in the global church. And largely what I think he's doing is pruning and sifting the church to separate out those who truly know him and truly follow him and will walk in truth versus those who espouse lies or walk in falsehood or in some way or another are estranged from him. Now, of course, in all of what he's doing, he's doing it in love to draw people unto himself because he desires that none would perish. He's doing it in love. He's chastising the church, but calling the church to be a real church, a true church. And part of that is a work that he does in each and every individual. So last week, I was talking about the idea of a new heart. And It was a little unusual in that we were talking about a scripture that talks about circumcision, which is a cutting away. But the scriptures that we were looking at had to do with circumcision of the heart, that God does trim or purify the heart in every way to make us like him. Now, probably for all of us, we are not aware on a regular basis of the things in our hearts that God would want to change. That he has to orchestrate circumstances to reveal those to us and by a work of his spirit sort of shine the light upon our heart in order that we would come to a place of recognizing something in ourselves. In fact, I think of a lady who just in the last couple of years, I heard her talk about that she came to a place where the Lord just really convicted her. And it overwhelmed her about something in her heart that was dark that she had not really recognized. But when she did, when the Spirit brought it to her attention, she was brokenhearted about it and humble. And, of course, that's what God wants is a person to lay before him anything that is not of him, that's in her heart, that needs to be changed. And so that's what we were talking about in this scripture in Jeremiah where the prophet is speaking to the people of Israel. And he says, break up your unplowed ground. In other words, the hardness of your heart. And there it says that circumcise your, your heart, circumcise yourself to the Lord. 
Now, obviously, it's not a physical act. You're not cutting away something from your physical heart. It is talking about trimming from your heart those things that are not of God. And see, I believe that every human being naturally develops affections for things in this world from a very young age. And we accumulate, accumulate those during life that we think we will find life and love and essence through the things that we encounter in this world when we can only find real life and real love in Christ. And so when he says circumcise your heart, he's saying cut away that which would stand between you and loving God. Now, if I were to ask you right now, what would you assess to be the things in your heart that might stand between you and complete love for God? Some of you probably know immediately there's something. Some of you probably are a little uncertain, like, well, maybe this, maybe that. And some of you might say, I honestly don't know. But you see, God does know. He knows there's, there might be some things that you're seeking after, for example, in this world. Maybe you're seeking success and, and achievement and things in this world that are always elusive that you can never truly acquire. And those things, those affections for this world are keeping you from truly loving him. So you see, there can be subtle things in our hearts, and sometimes it's something good that has become out of balance. It's like it's a healthy thing to exercise in whatever form you like, but if you overdo it, it can become a place of idolatry that even is damaging to your physical body. And so it could be that there's something in this world that you think of as good, but God is saying, no, that you have such an affection for that that it's a place of idolatry and it needs to be changed. And so we looked at this in talking about the idea of God working to trim our hearts. And the scripture in Deuteronomy says this, that he is the one who does it, that he will circumcise your heart. And here it explains exactly the reason that he does so, so that you may love him with all of your heart, your soul, and your life, all of you. That God is at the business or about the business of trimming from your heart anything that stands between you and loving him because he has created you for the purpose of loving him. See, human beings think in a lot of different ways about what purpose we exist for and so forth, but primarily above all things, God has created you for the purpose of loving him. And anything that stands in the way of that is something about which he is jealous This is why the scripture says he is a jealous God. He is jealous for that which he has created. His jealousy is right. Our jealousy tends to be rooted in fear or pride or something, but his jealousy is because of his love for you. And see, you stop and think about it. God created you. He knitted you together in your mother's womb. He gave you gifts and talents. He has sustained you through life. He has appointed the days that you will live, whatever they may be. And actually, many of us could say, wow, I should have died about 10 times before now by all the foolish things that I did and so forth. Like, remember I told you I drove a car off a cliff when I was a teenager. I literally did. A tree stopped me. That tree was probably an angel just standing there going, looking like a tree today, like because of Robert's being foolish again. But, you know, he has appointed our days. He created you. He is preparing you for eternity. He loves you. And he is jealous for you. And this is why he says to circumcise your heart, to examine your heart, trim away anything that would stand between you and loving him. 
And he is about the business of working in your heart to do that type of, of circumcision, to trim away that which is not good. So we talked about a variety of things last week that he must go after, one of which is love of the world, that where we have lust of the flesh and lust of the eyes and pride of life, and we love this world, those things can stand between us and loving him, and he will go after them. That we must lay that before him and allow him to bring about change. A second thing we talked about last week was love of evil. And see, a lot of Christians think that if they're not doing some major sin, something outward that is obvious, then they don't love evil. But I think a lot of Christian people love some portions of evil without acknowledging it. Or they don't recognize it. They love some measure of falsehood or maybe some measure of perversion or maybe some measure of violence. I heard that there's some new uh, online video experience that is out that is extraordinarily violent, but they pre-sold something like a million registrations for it. Now, there's something wrong in the heart of a person that is drawn to seeing violence, even if it's of that form, over and over and over. And you see, this is what I mean. Is, is there something in your heart where you love some portion of evil that God will come after that? In every person, there is something there that he has to search and sift and reveal. We also talked last week about the problem of loving human beings in the form of idolatry. That we inevitably can put a person in a position of idolatry which then stands between your love for God and the rest of this world. You see, if you put a person in a place of idolatry, that is, you place expectations upon them to do things that are in essence things that only God can do, they can never meet your expectations. Your idol will always fail. That's why I said you shouldn't place your spouse or or any human being, any relationship, put them in a position of being an idol. And yet people do that. And so sometimes God has to chastise us in this area to break that. Now, I want to continue this week and essentially talk about this same topic in a variety of other areas because I didn't get close to being finished last week. And so where I want to go next is this, the love of money. The scripture says to keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. It's a very interesting thing that you and I live in one of the most prosperous countries in the entire world at one of the most prosperous times in all of history. That we have more access to material wealth than any culture really in the history of the world. And yet you would think that that level of gain and wealth and material possessions and so forth would give us peace and joy and satisfaction And it does just the opposite. That in gaining more, it's like we are less thankful, less content, and always wanting more. In fact, we live in a society that constantly is trying to stimulate you to say you don't have enough. I mean, all the advertisements that appear all around you all the time are saying to you, you need this. And if you have this, then you'll be satisfied. 
for some reason, I've been bombarded lately with email advertisements about growing hair. <laughs> I have. It's just been bombarding me lately. I don't know why I've been getting those. And I've even thought, maybe I should check that out. <laughs> See, they're just constantly things coming at you, stimulating you to think, you need this. You would be better. And you see, the love of money is very much associated with coveting and wanting in this world. Because really, it's often not money itself. Now, some people love money because of the sense of security and power that it gives them, that they always want to accumulate more and know how much they have. But many people love money because they love to acquire things. Now, if I were to ask you if you love money, what would be the first thought that comes to your mind? Some of you would say, I don't think so. Some of you would say, I probably do. It's really driven my life. Some of you would say, I really don't know. But I'd say there would be a very small number who could honestly say, no, I don't love money in any way. And, you know, there are a variety of ways to test that. Like when you're in a place where you're being asked to be extraordinarily generous, is that easy or hard? When you're asked to forfeit some of the things that you might desire... Is that easy or hard? Or put it this way, does money drive a lot of your decisions? Now, for those who've been around here a long time, you know that I have a financial background, and I think I went into a a financial career early on because of greed and a love for money. Now, I didn't know I had it. This is before I became a Christian. And after I became a Christian, I think it took a while for the Lord to really work that through and help me see how bad it was. And I've been recovering from that, you might say, for many years. But now, of course, there is a place of balance with everything. Because the scripture says, he who does not work is worse than the unbeliever, and he who doesn't provide for his family is such like that, that that you should work and achieve, and the scripture talks about the ant even saves up for the future, you should save for the future. There is a place of wisdom in seeking to gain. It is a healthy thing, particularly like, say, a young person to work and, and make some money for themselves and begin to take responsibility for themselves. It's a healthy thing. But the problem is when it becomes out of balance. When you're seeking after money, not just to meet needs or to bless people or to take care of your family, but it's, it's something that's driving you as a human being. It's determining the choices that you're making. It's keeping you from being free. It's like a, a story I read some years ago of this gentleman who was a very successful, already very wealthy person in the financial industry. And in the article, he was bragging about, I think this was an article that appeared in Forbes or something like that. He was bragging about the fact that he could continue to work, complete his work while he was on vacation. 
that he would do things, go to the beach, spend some time with his family, so forth, during the day, and then during the evening, late into the night, he would work all night and continue it because he was driven. Now, he was a person who financially did not need to work. He could have quit. But you see, there was something driving him to a point where he could not rest. There was no balance in his life. And you see, it's an unhealthy thing for a young person to be driven by a love for money because it can put you on a path that ultimately leads to destruction. I mean, some people, out of a love for money, are literally have compromised their beliefs, their values, their ethics, spent years in jail for having done so. I mean, that's reality. I had a a gentleman I knew years ago who was in the insurance industry, and that's what happened to him. And he was a person that was highly respected. People really liked him as a person, but he began to do fraudulent things in his insurance business, and ultimately it cost him. And you see, he was probably driven by a small love for money that grew and festered and became something very serious. Then there's this question of a love of pleasure. And what is it that God has to cut out of your heart? What does he have to carve out of your heart? And the scripture says that in the last days, there'll be terrible times. And I've mentioned before, I believe we are in the last days. And I believe they are marching more and more quickly toward the point of the culmination. I hope to see the return of Christ, but I don't know if that will happen or not. But in the last days, we cannot expect that things will get easier and brighter There were, like well over a century ago, people who believed that the church would just usher in a a great new age and, and it would be the time that you would see the reign of Christ through the church. But really, World War I was the first thing that really began to smack that in the face, and World War II did it in. There are still a few people who hold ideas like that, but not that many that we are seeing an increase in evil. Now, that doesn't mean that the church or individual Christians need to cower when we see that. In fact, do you realize that right now, you might look at the world and say, it's, it's chaos, it's a mess, I don't want to be a part of it. I want to retreat and hide. And I understand that. But you realize in the midst of this, God is calling his people not to run and hide, but to stand firm in the truth. Even when you are persecuted, when you are rejected. To look for every opportunity to be his vessel of love to other people. To give a reason for your belief and and to be a witness of Christ by how you live, by your actions, by your words. That it is a critical time. In fact, I read something just this week about young people are looking for healthy spiritual conversations. Think about that. That young people are looking for healthy spiritual conversations. And I've mentioned that I have made it an intentional thing to try to invest in young men. Because I so wish that somebody with wisdom would have invested in me when I was a young man. Now, some people tried. I was a hard nut to crack. But 
I'm intentional about it, even if some people end up rejecting my offer to try to invest in their life. Because I think it matters. I think it's what God wants in this time. And see, Christians don't need to be backing away. We need to be looking for opportunities to plant seeds, to, to minister to the people that God sets before us. But the scripture says in the last days, there'll be terrible times and people will be lovers of themselves and there's a long list of things there and in that list is lovers of pleasure. And you see, I've said that the enemy of spiritual maturity in the church is comfort and pleasure. I've been saying that for years. The enemy of spiritual maturity in the church is comfort and pleasure. And I've said that the church in the United States is terribly immature. I would dare conjecture that the church in China is far more mature than here. Or anywhere where the church is under persecution, I would dare say that it's far more mature than in this country. That we are like little children just wanting to indulge in our pleasures and wanting God to bless us without recognizing that we're in a spiritual battle, in a war, that he's calling us to maturity and to courage. To be a courageous people in a time of darkness. And you see, if you are a lover of pleasure, that is the pleasures of this world, that it will inhibit your love for God himself, and it will certainly inhibit your capacity to be his vessel in this world. Now again, there is that issue of balance with everything. I mean, there are those who in the history of the church have taken uh, routes of living in isolation and that they wouldn't allow themselves any pleasure whatsoever. And they were trying to deny everything about themselves in order to live a godly life. Now, maybe God called some people to that, and maybe they were very in close connection with him, but they were isolated from the world and unable to impact the world. And you see, God's calling us to be people who enjoy the world that he sets before us. I mean, he really, he wants us to enjoy things. Think about all of the things in this creation that God has given us that are for the purpose of joy. Just the beauty of the world around you. I was talking to a lady last night after the service who said that she just loves to look at the sky. She always just enjoys to look at the sky. And really there's beauty every day to be observed of a lot of different types. Even if there's like a lightning storm or something like that, there's beauty to be observed in that. God wants us to have pleasure in enjoying his creation all the relationships that he gives us, and the little blessings that he gives us. You know, God loves you so much that he will give you a detailed, fine blessing. I've even had things that in my heart I desired, but I never prayed and asked for it, and God gave it to me. And when it happened, I'm like, that had to be him. He knew the desire of my heart. And so he does want you to enjoy this life. But to be a lover of pleasure is one who goes from one pleasure high to the next, always seeking after that rather than seeking God and having balance in their life and sometimes being a person who denies themselves. I wrote some years ago 
a card that you can find out at the Welcome Center about what is a real man and a fake man. Well, a real man takes responsibility, and oftentimes that means denying himself and not seeking after pleasure, but doing the difficult, tough thing. Something that he would rather not do. But you see, a fake man is always seeking after that which makes him feel good. It's about himself. His focus is upon himself. And to be a lover of pleasure is to be constantly seeking pleasure for yourself at the expense of other people or in some way neglecting other people. God calls you to be a person who loves him, not just pleasure. And of course, we live in an age when this is of an extraordinary degree where the culture just seeks after one pleasure after another. But do you know what happens? The more you indulge in fleshly pleasure, the more dissatisfied you become. You see, if you're content with where you are and then you can enjoy the things that God has given you, there's a place of satisfaction in that. But the more you seek after pleasure, the less satisfied you will be. It's like an addict who has to have a a bigger fix each time in order to get the high that was the equivalent of what was before. Now, another thing that God must carve from our heart is this, and this might be the most unusual one on the list. A love of independence. Now, you may not have thought of that. I can't say that it was something strongly on my mind years ago. But I absolutely believe that it's something that God will target in your heart. Because the scripture says there in Corinthians that you're the temple of the Holy Spirit. You are not your own. You were bought at a price. You didn't create yourself. You didn't redeem yourself. You can't work and earn favor with God. It is by grace that you've been saved through faith. You were bought at the price of the living God dying to cover your sin. He redeemed you from the pit. He's given you hope. He determines the days that you have in this world, and he is preparing you for eternity. You are not your own. You were created for the purpose of loving him, walking with him. Now, in our culture, we really exalt independence. In fact, we celebrate independence annually. And there's something in the American spirit, it's, it's true in all human beings, but particularly in our culture, about independence. Maybe not so much now as it once was. But do you realize that God did not create you to be independent? He created you first and foremost to be utterly and completely dependent upon him. Now, you are, whether you realize it or not, even the unbeliever who, who blasphemes God is dependent upon God for each breath. But God created you to be completely dependent upon him. In fact, I think the process that he has in this world of aging, somebody said the other day that getting old is not for sissies. Well, amen to that. But it makes us 
by definition, physically less independent. It does. And I think it's part of his design to make us more completely dependent upon him. Because there are things that we could do when we were younger and stronger that we just can't do anymore. We need others to do for us. And so here is one that I would say might be a problem in many of our hearts. That we're trying to live too independent of God himself. And some of the times when you're going through a great trial in life, one of the things that he is doing is breaking you of independence so that you would be more broken and humble and dependent upon him. That you would be reliant upon him and be his servant. Now again, if I were to pose that question to you, pressure you a little bit, Do you think you are a person who is strongly dependent upon the Holy Spirit or rather independent? And see, there are a lot of things about us that we don't like independence or we don't like dependence. I remember many years ago I was teaching a class at the college and we were talking about marriage in this class and the issue about submission came up. And I remember this young lady blurted out, I will never submit to anybody. Well, I haven't kept track of her life, but I dare say she's had a few roadblocks to that position. Because do you realize that we are all called to submit to God, to submit to authority, to submit to one another? That one of the aspects of maturity is learning submission? One of the Characteristics of immaturity is rebelling against the authority that God has set over you. Now, there are a few times when we are to rebel against things that are ungodly, but most of the time we're called to submit. I mean, you think about it. How many times every day you have to submit? You have to submit to the traffic lights. Well, some of you don't. (laughs) But if you don't, the camera will get you, right? You have to submit to the structure of your employment, what time you're there and who your boss is and the things you're to do and the things you're not to do. There are a lot of places where you have to learn to submit. And it's a healthy thing. Do you realize that if you and I could walk totally, absolutely dependent upon Christ in every moment, every day, that would be the best possible route of life. You would never say anything that you regret saying. You would never do anything that would have to be made up for in some way. You'd never go down some path that would be false and deceptive, lead to destruction. You'd always just be his vessel, doing his will, day by day, moment by moment. Now, another thing that God will come after in our hearts is our love of ourselves which we're all born naturally that way. We are naturally, wretchedly self-centered. But notice the scripture in Revelation. It's talking about the martyrs. It said they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and the word of the testimony, that is, overcame evil and Satan and so forth, that they did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. You see, now, a person who is 
extraordinarily self-centered, is concerned about protecting their life, perhaps above all things. And yet here it's talking about people who love God so much they did not shrink from death. You know, the Apostle Paul is a very clear example of this. And remember, he was a person who was successful in the world. He was a Pharisee. He was probably a wealthy person. He had power and position in Israel. He was educated, obviously very intelligent, things like that. And remember, he he talked about himself as that he was the Jew of Jews, so to speak, that he could be proud of who he was. And yet he was the person who was leading the persecution against the early church. He was there at the stoning of Stephen, probably responsible for his death. He was essentially a murderer. And then he came to know Christ. And in his case, there was no looking back. You know, there's nothing in Scripture that indicates Paul backed up in some way. But once he came to know Christ, it was a radical change, and he was always marching forward. In fact, so much so that the early Christians were scared of him. You know, they, they heard that this guy is now out preaching the gospel, and they're like, no way. He's the one who was persecuting the church. And they're thinking, they're, we're not going to have anything to do with him. But then they found he, was, he would truly had been changed in a way that God was doing something profound. And I believe he was one who did not shrink from death. Because think about all the times in Scripture where it says that he was stoned and persecuted and left for dead and things of that nature. And then eventually, remember this. He had decided he was going to go to Rome and other Christians said to him, do not go. That it will cost you your life. Were they right? Yes, they were. And he said, no, I must go. That this is what I am appointed to do. To go to Rome, to declare the gospel there, right in the heart of the seat of power of the Roman Empire. And you see, he did not shrink from death because if he had loved himself more than he loved God, he would have not gone on that missionary journey. Do you realize as we go through life, God wants us to be at the place where we're willing to take the risk to step out even if it might cost us our lives. And then lastly, this. And these are very interrelated because if you're loving yourself and you're very independent of God, by definition, you're loving your own life, life in this world. See, the Scripture says there in Hebrews that by his death he might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is, Jesus destroyed the power of Satan, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by the fear of death. Do you realize right now in the world there are many, many people held in slavery by the fear of death? Extremely afraid of things going on. And you see, God wants you to be free from a love of this life. So that you are free to live here and prepare for eternity. I mean, it it is a very healthy thing to have a clear recognition that this life is temporary. That I will exit this world and stand before Christ, before the judgment seat of Christ, and give an account for my life. 
But you see, if I love this life, this life too much, my focus is here. It's about what I can do and acquire in this world, what pleasures I can have in this world. It's not about what God is preparing for eternity. And see, all of these things that we talk about in Christianity, it's either foolishness or the absolute truth. There's no in-between. Either God created all things, including you, that he's at work in all of our lives, that he's preparing us for eternity, that there is life after death, or there's nothing. But creation itself speaks to the glory of God. It, it demonstrates day by day his goodness, his glory, his power, his authority. And yet evil is all around us. And see, a person has to come to the place where you strongly determine how will I live Will I live with an expectation of life after death, with an expectation of eternity, knowing that God is real, that he has worked in this journey? And will I make choices in this life, recognizing I will give an account for my life? Or will I simply live with a self-indulgent, pleasure-seeking purpose in this world and end with meaninglessness? See, I believe the choices we make day by day really matter. When you choose to love a single individual in a tiny way in any given day, I believe it matters. When you sacrifice for that person, I believe it matters. And see, God wants to create in us a heart that recognizes him. The last part of this is this scripture in Romans it says there that a man is not a Jew if he is only one outwardly, and nor is circumcision merely an outward and physical act. But rather, a man or a woman is a Jew if he is so inwardly. And circumcision is circumcision of the heart by the Spirit. In other words, the Jews were this physical family chosen, set apart, to be the family of God. And the scripture here in Romans says you are a part of that, not by physiological ancestry, but rather that you are born into the family of God by a work of the Holy Spirit as he is the one who changes you from the inside out. He is the one who circumcises your heart. Now the good part about all that is these things we've been talking about that God wants to cut out of our heart. Deuteronomy says what? He will do it so that you may love him. And here it says that it is a work by the Holy Spirit. Like you may not have even thought of yourself as being highly independent, but maybe today the Holy Spirit has really brought that to your attention. That you're way too independent of him. And if it's the Holy Spirit doing it, he is the one who's going to mold you to bring about transformation because he's the one who is carving your heart. But he's carving it like he's carving a sculpture. That he's creating something very, very good in you. So if the Lord has in some way pinpointed something in your heart today, then our responsibility is to lay it before him and say, Lord, I recognize it. 
I want to change. I don't want to be a person who loves evil or loves pleasure, lives independent of you, is focused upon myself. I want to be a person who loves the Lord above all things and loves people. Let's pray. Lord, I ask that you would forgive us of all the ways that we have loved things of this world rather than you. Especially our very selfish love. I ask that you would create in us a new heart, a pure heart that seeks after you. And I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. We hope that you enjoyed this podcast and that it blessed you in some way. Don't forget to visit our website at cctri.org. And make sure that you send us your prayer requests at office at cctri.org. We pray that the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in Him.